What's going on, everybody? Evan, War Room, the Hockey Podcaster, back with you. Um, thank you for your patience. We appreciate you. A lot going on, um, a lot um, that we are dealing with, um, so we have been unable to be with you on a weekly basis. We apologize for that, so we appreciate your patience and um, your continued support. Uh, this week, we are covering signings, uh, some injuries, we're covering prospect pools, pipelines, we're covering... Um, Mike Babcock situation, and we'll also um, touch on what you can expect to see on the War Room Instagram page uh, with a posting that uh, I will make based on um, some fun I had with statistics from last season in regards to ranking um, teams coming into this current season. So, a lot to look forward to this week. Settle in, enjoy War Room Hockey Podcast. starting this week with some signings and injuries. This week is going to be a little bit of a different um, episode. It's going to sound, feel, and look very kind of pieced together. We are not recording in the same um, same studio in the same spot uh, this week. We are, um, and we're not on Zoom. We're dealing, still dealing with some technical issues with microphones and a number of things like that that we are working the bugs out with. Uh, so we um, are recording separately and then piecing it together with sound files and things like that. So forgive us. We still are confident and um love the content we put out so uh, so we still enjoy doing it no matter how it's pieced together so but please bear with us um this week we are starting with signings and injuries uh it's not really a signing but um a shout out to brad marchand for being named captain of the boston bruins um two big signings uh to look at anaheim ducks trevor zegris and ottawa senators jake sanderson Uh, big big signings there um helps them in regards to their RFA status. Uh, Brad, uh, my dad will, will, um, go into detail, um, about all this in just a moment in his, in his segment. Um, as you'll hear him say, uh, the RFA status is not necessarily, um, something that locks you in anymore. Uh, it used to be a situation where if you were an RFA, you were an RFA. And the only thing that could really happen to you is potentially, an offer sheet or anything like that when your when your contract was up, as we saw with Matthew Kachuk in Calgary, that's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, players um, are able to use uh, their unhappiness with situations as leverage, and they're able to to find themselves better situations or things that they deem to be better situations. Uh, so look for that. But uh, big big signing for for Anaheim to get Trevor Zegers done. Um, he's an added young piece, obviously for the Ducks with um, a tremendous pipeline. Jake Sanderson as well for for Ottawa, as Dad will touch on. Um, he um, still very unproven, uh, but they're still very confident at seeing as he uh, got his eight-year deal. Um, Devon Taves in Colorado, that's a question mark. He wants to get done before the start of the season. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, a number of things there. There's ways to get it done. I, um, As an Avalanche fan, my bias will come through. I hope they do get it done, um, but that is a question mark there. 30-year-old, does he get term? Does he get value? What does he get? Um, Manson, McCarr, Rantanen, Ben Myers, these are all um, day-to-day style injuries that the Avalanche are dealing with, including Pavel Frantzos, who will be out for, for a period of time. So uh, Eustace Ananen will be the opening night backup for the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, Andre Vasilevsky will be out for at least 10 weeks. I'm not sold on that. Um, back surgery, you're the starting goaltender of the Tampa Bay Lightning um, the modern NHL's dynasty, and you play 
on average 55, 60, 65 games a season. Um, and then especially coming into this year uh, with JoJo, uh, Johansson, Jonas Johansson as your backup. Now, I love JoJo. He was uh, played in Colorado, played well, did well for them, proved that he could win hockey games. But in Tampa, he will be the guy for 10-plus weeks. Can they? Can he do that? That remains to be seen. Again, I'm convinced it's going to be much more than 10 weeks. Back surgery for a starting goaltender. Unless Vasilevsky's just a beast, which he's proven to be on the ice. We'll see how he is health-wise. Uh, but he is out. Um, in regards to signings and injuries, those are the kind of the, the main points that I have. I'll transition over to, to Brad here and let him carry on for his take on everything around the league regarding signings, captaincies, injuries, and pipelines. Hey, thanks for having me on. Got a, a lot to cover and uh, get, to, get to it and get your thoughts on all this stuff as we, uh, as we move through the the preseason headlines. As of this morning, Trevor Zegers just signed. Uh, I think he got three years times uh, just short of $6 million. Kind of an odd term, but see where that goes. Always uh, always the concern that a guy's going to play himself into the end of RFA or start of restricted and then go back to his hometown. Seeing a lot more of that going on uh, year after year. But I guess uh, even if you're restricted, it really doesn't matter. You still look what uh, look what Kachuk did in Calgary. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau. These guys were they they were not unrestricted, but yet when you when you tell them that we're not, I'm not resigning here and I'm not staying around. If you want to get anything for me, you better peddle me. Uh, that's the same as being unrestricted. So that uh, that's a good one for the Ducks, who um, we'll get to in a bit as having one of the best prospect pools uh, in the league. Uh, another interesting development here. Well, listen, uh, with regard to the Zeger signing, uh, Jake Sanderson just got eight times eight. Uh, he is a good-looking prospect in Ottawa. Uh, could be a, a strong defender there for uh, for the rest of his career, as, as far as that goes. But I mean, you're, that's a lot of dough and a lot of term for a guy who's unproven. Uh, so they must they must really believe in his upside and and uh, his ability to prolong. Uh, his dominance and development. Seeing a lot of injuries uh, take place uh, all over the place, off-season injuries, training camp injuries. So, you know, that stuff changes every day. I won't go into the details, but uh, that's a that's a story. And it's something everybody's got to deal with and just get used to it because it's going to be from now until, like every year, it'll be from now till they hand out the cup that uh, the teams that handle injuries the best are going to be the ones left standing. Here's uh, <laughs> here. How about the Marchand story? Uh, Brad Marchand, after all of his shenanigans and the, the immature nature of how he conducted himself for so many years, he's now the captain of the Boston Bruins uh, in replace of uh, in replacement of Patrice Bergeron. And I know he's developed. I've been a I've been a fan of his since the beginning, since he was a 16, 17 year old kid. I Great player, great junior career, great NHL career, dominant player. Uh, just one of those guys that you can't, uh, you, you never knew at when his early 20s, mid-20s, what you were going to get out of him. Maybe he's matured. Maybe enough years with Bergeron and Chara uh, have gotten him to a, a level of, <laughs> of confidence and trust that, uh, that he can handle the room. But I thought, I thought you might like that one. Uh, anyway, good for him. And uh, with respect to the re- remainder of the, Recording, I Boston is probably the team that I would pick out of the NHL that has the worst prospect pool and uh, and the worst chances of of looking like a contender over the next five years. They're they're going to be hitting rock bottom, and uh, Mr. Marchand's going to have his hands full. But uh, we'll get to the Babcock story here in a minute. But um, what do you think? What do I think? Like I said uh, prior to that little segment, a lot to look forward to, not only in this upcoming season, but a lot of question marks regarding injuries, signings, uh, potential moves, anything like that. Um, that was a excellent point about the Boston Bruins. Um, Boston, they always find a way to compete. They always find a way to get the job done, but they are in a, for a world of hurt um, moving forward. There's um, 
you could argue even the Vegas Golden Knights are kind of the same way. Um, when you when you are in a now some teams are are able to be in a win now period and maintain a little bit. Uh, Boston has done that for a number of years. Chicago did that for a number of years. Um, Vegas, um, while they're still very young in the league, they've done that since their inception. The eventually though that does catch up, especially when you don't replenish. If you don't rebuild, rebuild in your window. If you don't find a way to to remain competitive and rebuild at the same time to further that longevity, it eventually catches up to you. Eventually catches up to anybody, no matter how long your window is. But the the length of your window, I guess, is um, how long you can keep your window open before before the storms brew. I guess, if I can use that metaphor, is all dependent on your adaptability in in motion, in process. Um, Boston's done a very, very good job of that. Um, if there's any team that can overcome it, it's the Boston Bruins, but they do have, to um, Brad, Dad's point, um, there there's some, some issues coming for them. Um, and when you're competitive that long, it's a foregone, it's kind of a obvious situation. You're going to have some issues. Um, they don't really have much of a pipeline. Uh, because of their continued success, uh, they trade draft picks, they trade prospects for win-now type players to re- to revamp things and stay competitive. Take nothing away from Montgomery and management and everything that they've done over the years, but um, I think the 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 I think it's going to start to hurt. Um, there's some, if you listen to them, that that speculate that the Boston Bruins won't even make the playoffs this year. Um, as we talked about in previous episodes, I'm not necessarily in that camp. I do believe that they will... Um, I say I'm not necessarily in that camp. Um, I've said in previous episodes that they very well could miss the playoffs. I do think that um, they could make it, um, but this is kind of the year. They make it this year, and after that, um, to the point that was made, Brad Marchand's going to have his hands full as the captain... Um, as the captain of the ship, if you will, moving forward through the next era, the next stage of the Boston Bruins. So, excellent segment. We appreciate that. Um, moving on, um, it was mentioned in in that little segment that the next story is the Mike Babcock story. Um, I'll let Dad kick the Babcock story off, and then I will give, give my take on it moving forward before we transition into... Um, what has to be said about pipeline rankings and uh, closing out for you guys. Mike, Mike Babcock. Well, another big preseason story came out uh, before the before camps even opened. Babcock out of Columbus before anybody even broke a sweat. So that was an interesting uh, development, certainly. The story came out on Spit and Chicklets that uh, he had asked or forced players to uh, unlock their phones and he was looking through their personal information and photos and things like that. The players in question being Boone Jenner, the captain who is a rock solid kid and Johnny Goudreau, um, both that, that is not the account they gave. Uh, they said it was completely innocent. He was just getting to know him and it was one of the first times they had met him, etc. So who knows where the truth lies, but the story came from Paul Biznet on Spitting Chicklets and from, uh, I believe, Mike Commodore had uh, a hand in it. And both of those guys have long personal history with uh, having problems with Babcock. So I hate to see it happen, but if anybody had uh, a raw deal coming, it's Mike Babcock. Uh, great hockey coach, one of the best of our time. But boy, the way he's treated people over the years, and this is not a, this is not a one-time thing. He uh, he benched Mike Medano, who was trying to get his 1500th milestone game, Hall of Famer, uh, trying to get his 1500th game in Detroit in front of friends and family where he grew up. Babcock benched him. Uh, Jason Spezza makes a return after his likely Hall of Fame career uh, was winding down. Made his return to Toronto where he grew up. Babs wouldn't stop, it didn't start him uh, in his first game back. Had all of his friends and family there uh, wearing a Leaf sweater for the first time in his life, and and Babcock didn't even dress him. 
claiming that he needed work on the penalty kill. He didn't understand uh, the, the leaf penalty kill, which is, I mean, any, any bantam double A player in the country probably could go out and kill penalties. Uh, not that that's not a great skill and an awesome thing to have, but it's not something you bench a 20-year veteran for. Uh, let's see what else. He benched Chris Chelios at the uh, outdoor game in Chicago where Chelly grew up. Uh, he had uh, he completely sewered my Commodore's career in Detroit, signed him, and then just uh, he was, spent the season, what was left of it, in the press box. Uh what else has he done over the years? Um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a long history of mistreating people and, uh, and word gets around. It's not a secret for anyone. Uh, it's just the, the uh, Johan Franzen thing in Detroit was another, just a shameful way to do things. And, and it taints a legacy of, you know, Stanley cups and Olympic golds. And, and, uh, he should be, you know, he should be riding into the hall of fame, uh, on a, on a white stallion, but he's not. People don't like him, and for good reason. So anyway, that's the long version of why he's out of Columbus uh, without ever having, you know, even run a practice uh, before that. He, before that show got off the ground. Anyway, tough deal, but it was probably not a good hire anyway by uh, by Kekalina. What do you think? What do I think? Um, I don't know. To me, at least at the start. Optically, this did not look good for Paul Bizanette. Um, Very emotionally driven, very biased. When you look at the history of Mike Babcock, he's a, a, a Stanley Cup champion, uh, tremendous X's and O's coach. Um, to to the point that was made, he is or at least should be anyway. I don't know if he will be anymore, um, but he at least should be, had he done things better and done things correctly, riding off... Golden Stallion style into the Hall of Fame and a representation for the coaches coaches and the uh, and alumni of coaches of a tremendous, tremendous success and uh, tremendous history. And unfortunately, that it will likely not be the case um, to the point that was made uh, Madonna, Spezza, Commodore. Johan Franzen, um, what was not mentioned, and I'll 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 take the the opportunity to mention it. Uh, let's also not forget, and I'm sure there's many many others, but let's also not forget um, what he did to Mitch Marner in Toronto. The to ask Mitch Marner under the, as a coach as a position of leadership and authority. Um, to ask a player to um, rank his teammates from best to worst in a situation where if anybody has been remotely in a toxic work environment at all, they, they understand the hesitancy in Mitch Marner's position to say no. So, of course, Mitch Marner's going to do it. And Babcock promises him... Um, and tells him that that information will not leave the office. It's between the two of them. And that the very next team meeting, he puts Marner's list up on the big projector, the big screen, the big TV, tells the team that it's Marner's list, and this is what Marner thinks of you. That's enough to make any, any human being break down in tears, and it did. Mitch Marner broke down in tears, cried, and spent a good amount of time trying to mend fences with his teammates. Um, luckily, he didn't need to. They understood, but um, that is a that is a, not a good situation to be in. And um, so there's many, many others, um, but Madonna, Spezza, Commodore, Franzen, Marner, and who knows how many others. Um, there's actually one that came out today, um, a former Detroit player, Chelios. Uh, you mentioned Chelios, I'll mention him too. Um, but there was one that came out today, um, and I don't have the name in front of me, but another former Detroit player um, with stories of how Babcock just completely 
uh, mistreated him and embarrassed him. And there's no room for that. I think there's a difference between, and we, we've touched on this. We've, we've touched on this before. Um, I, that, and dad and I both agree on this, that there is, that there is, I think it's overplayed to come out and say a coach has lost the room. So it's time to switch coaches. You're multi-million dollar professional athletes. As far as I'm concerned, head coaches should be removed for Babcock situations or based on their own choice. Um, otherwise, you're looking at tenured coaches for every franchise because to me, to me, there's just there's just no losing the room. You're multi-million dollar professional athletes. There's no losing the room. You as a player just choose not to listen. That's really what it comes down to, um, and you get no sympathy from me in that regard. The point I'm making with that is there's a difference between your old-school-style coaches, your um, Tortorellas, your Hitchcocks, even your your Quenvilles, um, your Pat Quinns, right? Your Scotty Bowmans. And poor treatment, abuse, um, embarrassment, gaslighting, manipulating, all these things. There's a difference. Um, I never want to see a coach be skewered for simply just being a hard-nosed coach. But unfortunately for Babcock, that's not what this situation is. Um, This isn't just potentially soft people and soft players coming out going, oh, he benched me, oh, he yelled at me, oh, I don't like him. This is, is, let's call it what it is. This is, um, at the least, you could call it poor treatment. At the most, you could call it emotional abuse. I mean, let's be real. Um, So... I, and and that's kind of what I meant when I started. I I think I think, and that well, that's what I meant when I said that uh, at least at the beginning, optically, it it did not look good for Paul Bizanet, um, because it was very curse word laden, emotionally driven, and came off just very vile and biased. Um, but when you take a step back and you actually look at Babcock's history and you look at these things, um, it's not a stretch to to say that what he did in Columbus was a breach. Now, was it necessarily a breach to the extent necessarily of how he treated Mitch Marner? No. Um but it was definitely a breach of privacy um, and cannot be tolerated. All due respect to Boone Jenner, who is, and I'm sure is, a stand-up guy in the locker room. That's why he's the captain of that team. Um, I don't want to undercut his words. He's the one He's the one in the room. I'm not. I'm on a microphone sitting on my couch. So take nothing away from, from the validity of his take on it. I think I think this situation, I guess what I'm getting at is this situation in Columbus on its own on its own is nothing. On its own it could be it could be taken any number of ways. Move on. Babcock's behind the bench for opening night. With his history, again, Madano, Spezza, Chelios, Commodore, Marner, and I'm sure many others. I think this is just kind of the icing on the cake that that it was a bad hire by Columbus and Babcock is. It's not a stretch to say that you probably will not see Babcock again. And unfortunately for Babcock, his Stanley Cup championships and his successful pedigree will be kind of washed away by this reputation.
it's unfortunate. It's, it, it is unfortunate, and I say that, and it's not to excuse anything, but it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that um, Babcock um, treated his players this way, and it's unfortunate that it's that a very successful NHL coach, arguably Hall of Fame NHL coach, is going to be completely no more and washed away um, because of very, very bad decisions on the the part of Mike Babcock. So, anyway, enough of beating that horse. Uh, we'll transition. Um, I'll let um, Dad get his words in here on the pipelines, and then uh, we'll close out. So, um, and and I'll explain more about uh, why we're rank, rank, kind of ranking or giving thoughts on pipelines um, here once uh, once Brad finishes. But um, pipelines, rankings, thoughts, futures, all that stuff. Here we go. We've been talking a lot lately about prospect pools and and going through every team and every team's pipeline, their minor league system, everything they have to work with in camp. It ended up being fairly simple, uh, painful for a lot of uh, a lot of guys, but but still simple. First, let's knock out the ones that are empty. Uh, and here's here's teams that you're some of them will be a surprise, but they have spent everything in draft capital and everything that they can do with their prospect pool. It's gone. That's Boston, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, Washington, and Tampa. Oddly enough, all five of those teams are in the East. And all five of them are completely void of blue blue chip prospects under the age of 25 right now. If they don't get an emergence of some real pleasant third round surprise, uh, they're they're going to be falling on tough times. In uh, in Nashville, San Jose, Winnipeg, Seattle, Carolina, even Vegas. Again, uh, I guess you could still call Jack Eichel a prospect at, at his age, but. Uh, you're at a point where everything has been spent by those clubs and they don't have, they've not drafted high, uh, not drafted high in the first round or at the, in the first round or two at all in some cases recently so they can build. And that's just the price you pay. But when that premium comes due, you're looking at five years of hard times. So in, you've got Columbus, Phoenix, the Florida Panthers, Calgary, uh, all those teams are, they're not completely empty, but they're going to need some real surprises out of some guys that were not, that were not top draft picks that are going to have to emerge. In the middle of the pack, you certainly have to put Chicago uh, with Bedard, Boris Kachuk, and Taylor Radish. Uh, Detroit with uh, Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. The Flyers, Minnesota, Dallas. Edmonton, Vancouver, and Toronto, all of those teams are, they're good teams. They're not completely empty in the, in the draft pipeline, uh, in the development stages, but they're, they're hurting. So they're, it's not, they're either too young or too old to be called blue chip prospects, unproven, or they're soon to be UFA uh, at 27. So those are teams that are in the middle of the, uh, in the middle of the system. On the other end, as you move up into teams that have a better setup as of right now, as of 23-24, I like Montreal. They've got, uh, certainly with Newhook, Caulfield, Kirby Dak, uh, they're, they're pretty well stacked up front. Uh, they've got some good guys on the back in Ja'Kai and and, uh, and some of the players that, you know, are, are good, solid. It's a, it's a little harder to be a brilliant defensive prospect unless you're Makar or Owen Power, Adam Fox. But I like what Montreal's got to work with. Uh, I like what the Rangers have uh, on their end. They've still got Luxe Lafreniere and Capocacco. Now, both of those guys have been rumored in trades because they've been disappointing as first or second overall picks. But uh, on the back, they've still you've still got Adam Fox at 25, Keandre Miller, and Charlie Lindgren, all under 25, all everyday top four defensemen. And Fox is a, is a Calder winner. The St. Louis Blues uh, still have Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas. Uh, they're, you know, they're still going to be pretty well healed in, in St. Louis for a while. Uh, and they've got some help coming on defense. So not, uh, I wouldn't count them out, certainly. Um, they've got Jake Neighbors as well, who's uh, highly touted. 
So again, I, I like the age and the development of the guys that they have under 25. Now, when you get to they get to the teams that are just downright strong in the prospect department. Uh, certainly, I like the LA Kings. Uh, Byfield and Kaliev are um, are as good as anybody in under twenty five up front. Uh, they don't have quite the the talent levels coming on on defense, but I still like that overall depth. Uh, and some of it's some of what we look at in prospects is high end talent, and some of it is just the the uh, I guess the volume, the depth of B-plus talent. So I like what the Kings have done. I like what New Jersey's done with uh, the Hughes brothers and with Dawson Mercer there. Buffalo certainly has Owen Power and uh, Tage Thompson and a handful of other guys. My gosh, uh, uh, the, the Darling kid on defense is still only 23. So uh, Buffalo is going to be at the very top of the of the uh, game here with their prospects. If they get their goaltending solved, uh, they and New Jersey both are going to be real hard to play in the spring. So now we're down to I still I still count Colorado in that uh, in the top end of the prospect system just because with Makar on the back uh, and Sam Gerrard still only twenty five, but. Uh, up front, they've got a lot of really good, solid talent, if not game breakers, certainly. Uh, a guy like Olison is going to be tough, and John Luke Foodie, I, I still believe in. Coming down to the last couple of uh, last couple of teams, I'm going to I'm going to first pick out the Anaheim Ducks. So up front, you've still got they just signed Trevor Zegras, who's 22. Uh, they've still got um, Leo Carlson coming. The the second overall pick or third and Mace McTavish is 20 and Brett Leeson is 24. So up front, they have not just good game breaking talent, like a guy like Zegers, but they've got a lot of it under 25 on the back is where they probably are as good as anybody in the league here. And, and that's because Jackson Lacombe, Lassie Thompson, uh, Jamie Drysdale, all 21 to 23 years old, and coming in, coming into the system, they're still they're still developing. Uh, uh, they've got this Nestorenko kid that came over uh, up front. He's looking for a job out of camp uh, at forward, and they've got um, on defense. Listen to this now. Remember these names: Drew Hellison, Tristan Luno, Olin Zellweger, Tyson Hins. These guys are all. 20, 19, 20, 21 years old, and they will all be competing for NHL jobs. So within the next year or two, this is going to be as good of a defense core under 25 as there is anywhere. This one and Buffalo both. So you really have to respect what the Ducks have done. And if they can if they can rely on the goaltending that's coming on, whether it's Dostal or whomever, um, they're, they're going to be extremely difficult. And the last one is the other one that, that you and I talked about uh, two years ago. We picked out the L.A. Kings and the Ottawa Senators that are going to be very, very stacked uh, in the coming years. And that was, I believe we talked about that in 21 as two of the best teams uh, from a draft and develop standpoint at that time. So listen up front what they've got to work with in, in Ottawa. Tim Stutzla, and these are all guys under 20, 25 years old. Stutzla, Kachuk. Drake Batherson, Shane Pinto. That's that's the guys that'll start camp with a regular NHL job, and they've still got they've still got guys uh, like Ridley Gregg and and Tyler Boucher, and uh, some guys coming along through the system that are going to be NHL regulars in the next year or so, if not this year. So that that alone. Uh, up front is is reason to put them as good as anybody with their uh, with the under under twenty five crew, and on defense it's even better. You got Tom Shabbat who's now twenty six, Jake Chikrin is twenty five, Eric Brandstrom twenty four, Jake Sanderson just signed eight times eight he's twenty one, Jake Bernard Docker twenty three. These are all everyday go to top four NHL defensemen, and they're all under twenty five. And that doesn't include Tyler Clevin, who is going to be looking for a job. He's a big, heavy-duty kid 
Uh, and he's going to be, if not this year, he's going to be at 21 years old. He's going to be looking for a job, uh, an everyday job in Ottawa as well. So, man, these guys are these guys are pretty well set up. Uh, so at the top of this crew, like after having gone through every single one, Anaheim, Buffalo, New Jersey, uh, the LA Kings, Ottawa, and Colorado, all of them still have very healthy pipelines and uh, are going to be tough to play against for a long time. So if you haven't heard uh, your team or your guy or, or your set of prospects, or if you're asking questions about anybody in particular, get in touch with us because we went through every single guy under 25 in the league, uh, looking at potential and, and uh, upside and, and where they're going to fit in. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So can't wait to, can't wait to hear what, uh, what your take is on this. I'm sure it's going to be close. So close that I completely agree. Um, the the teams listed everything. The and I mentioned it with Brad Marchand. Boston is a prime example of it. Um, and that's uh, when you when you when you handle contracts well, like Boston has, and you do things well, and you draft well, and you do all these things. Your um, competitive window can be open for a long time. You saw that for eight to ten years with Chicago. Um, you've seen it for as long, if not longer, with Boston. Um, you you could arguably say you're seeing it now since, since the abysmal 48-point season. You're seeing it now with the Colorado Avalanche. When, when, when you draft well, you develop well, and you are smart with the trades and signings you make. Your, your competitive window can be open for a long time. And so it's easy to kind of lose track in that process of those competitive teams eventually hitting a wall. Um, and, and you hit a wall because in order to have that level of success, and I've mentioned it in previous episodes, I mentioned it earlier, when you had that level of success, with it comes a complete empty barrel, if you will, of draft capital and prospects. Prospects, unless you they are unless they are first overall, Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, Steven Stamkos, um, Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard, you know, go down the list, unless they are those level of players, prospects and, and and there's your second, third, fourth, and fifth round picks that, that end up being tremendous steals and successful. Ryan O'Reilly, Jamie Benn, you know. But for the most part, unless you are a complete and utter superstar on another level, all prospects need some level of development. Miko Ranton, and, and you could argue for him, it was partly Patrick Waugh, Patrick, Patrick Waugh's weird way of doing it. Nonetheless, Miko Rantanen spent two seasons down in San Antonio and and many NHL games on the fourth line before be given an opportunity in the top six, and he's taken off since. Development, and we hammer home development here at War Room, and, and Dad can agree on that, um, development is key. And it's one of the reasons why why Detroit for 20 plus years was always, always competitive. And they were always in the playoffs and they were always competing for a cup. I think, I think um, Colorado Avalanche, the Detroit Red Wings of, of the 90s and early 2000s, um, and even into the 2010s when you look at Detroit, um, Chicago and Boston presently, when you do things that way and you develop well, your window can last. And Chicago pro- or Detroit proved that. For 20 plus years, they made the playoffs, 20 straight years, because they did things well. They drafted, and all their draft picks, you wouldn't see until, the, until those draft picks were 25, 26, 27 years old. Because they've grown and they've matured and they've developed and they've experienced the professional game, both in preseason and in the AHL and in call-up situations due to injuries and things like that. And so they built that, those calluses, if you will, of competitive 
players who can hang at that level. Nowadays, draft picks get come in and they just get planted right in the, the lineup. And what ends up happening is when you play your nine games, guess what? You burn your ELC. You burn the first year of your ELC. So now that's done, right? So when you when you develop well and you, you treat things that way, you're going to have more success. And so when that happens um, with the teams I listed, uh, currently with um, with um, Tampa, Boston, Colorado, um, even Dallas, who's who's coming up in the competitive market there in the Central and in the West, you you can lose yourself a little bit um, in the idea of one, they're fun to watch; two, you're a fan of them; whatever the case may be. That hmm, okay, in a year or two, they're going to have cap situations and oh they they've got three players they got to get resigned. Oh in 4 years they're going to hit a wall. Next thing you know they're going to be rebuilding. What's going to happen? And so you kind of lose track of that and then when it happens it's like you're hitting a wall too because now you're kind of like, "Oh." Right? And I think the the hockey world and I know a number of people that I'm in a, a group chat with, fantasy hockey, all these things that are going to be kind of surprised to go, what happened to Boston? What happened to Tampa? What happened to Colorado? What happened to this and that, right? Whether it's this season, next season, 10 seasons from now, five seasons from now, whenever it is, because because of that very reason. Now, some of us can look at it um, analytically and go, well, yeah, that's the process. Nonetheless, a lot of us are going to be sitting here going, oh my gosh, what happened? Um Drafting well helps, but you've got to you've got to find a way. And Tampa Bay has done it. Boston, Boston, um, not Boston hasn't really done it the Tampa Colorado way. Colorado and Tampa have done it in a way where they've kind of replenished and and everything in in motion in progress. Um, right. So look at look at Colorado this off season. Alex Newhook is a first-round draft pick. But to com- continue a level of future competitiveness, they move Alex Newhook, they get a first-round draft pick back. Right? You've replenished. Now, whether you use that draft pick this year or it's for a, a draft down the road, you've now replenished a, some draft capital. You, ha- Tampa Bay's done a very, very good job of that. Boston, no. Boston's done it differently. Boston has taken their pipeline, developed it over the years, and now they're taking proven players and they're who are on expiring contracts, for example, moving them out and bringing in new proven players. Think a few years ago, Boston bringing in Charlie Coyle. Right? Think uh, last year bringing in Tyler Bertuzzi. Right? Think bringing in Taylor Hall. Think bringing in Nick Felino. Right? So, and that's how they've done it. And both work, but at some point you're going to have to replenish. And to the point being made using Boston as the prime example, um, Boston's going to have to replenish. Now, whether they do it full rebuild style, or they do it, or they try and do it on the go, Either way, it's going to have to happen. And you're seeing a little bit of that in Nashville. I'm not sold, and I say this knowing very well that that at this this that the 23-24 season could very well see the Nashville Predators not only competitive, but potentially Stanley Cup champions. Welcome to the, to the NHL of today where anything can happen. My prediction, and I've said this before, I don't see Ryan O'Reilly as a number one center, and I see a lot of holes in Nashville the same way in Minnesota where it's kind of now or nothing. And so, but what they're, the point nonetheless is that Barry Trotz is trying to do that in Nashville. He's trying to rebuild in his identity on the fly so that they don't have to completely tear it down. Whether that works or not remains to be seen. But there's ways to do it. It's just a matter of how you do it. But draft capital is so important. Pipelines are important. And that's why, um, to the point um, Brad made, I 100% agree. There are teams that that are 
number one in the top 10, if you will, of pipelines because they've drafted well, they develop well, they've done things well, um, and they're competitive teams. And there's also ones in the top 10 that have, have done all that stuff because they're rebuilding. Either way, they've got good pipelines. And then there's ones at the tail end of it that um, are competitive teams, but oh boy, if they don't win now, the lack of, of pipeline, the lack of depth, the lack of development um, is going to hit them like a Mack truck. Um, and then others at the bottom that are just basically starting a rebuild, and so they've got to generate some capital. So I, I can, but nonetheless, the point is, um, through my rambles, uh, I completely agree. It's development is huge, and we we are huge advocates of it here with War Room. So it'll be interesting to see how how teams like Boston, with a new captain, some turnover, um, a lack of a pipeline, um, kind of proceeds and moves forward through all this. Um, so I, and again, anyway, I appreciate it. Um, the reason why, let me say this, the reason why, um, the reason why I wanted some of that, um, pipeline ranking and and everything like that is, um, is because for fun and I say fun about halfway through, I was kind of like, what have I got myself into? But, uh, nonetheless for fun. Statistically, I looked at um, I looked at ranking teams um, positionally going into the new season. Now, the rankings deal with the off-season moves, right? Um, Minnesota picking up Pat Maroon, Colorado with Miles Wood and Ross Colton, things like that. So you're taking players, even if they played for other teams the year before, and you're taking that their stats and you're applying them to their current team and the current situation. So I ranked the forward group um, by position and then overall forward groups um, based on overall points through, through the season and face-off percentage. Tried to keep it as simple as possible, um, just to rank the four groups going into the new year. Now, I know we had an episode where we had our predictions and where they fall. Um, this doesn't have anything to do with that. This is a different ranking system, um, and it was just for fun, just to see how it kind of played out um, statistically. Okay, so this is statistically from last year's statistics, last year's numbers on where teams will fall. I'll run through it real quick uh, just because I'm going to um, post it to social media and um, and kind of incorporate it. Um, but look out for, um, hopefully before the season starts this coming week, um, but we'll see how it goes with work and all this stuff. But um, nonetheless, hopefully this coming week I will have one if not talked about on the podcast, at least posted about um, defense, about defensive course for teams statistically. But right now, forward groups, um, again, face-off percentage, overall point totals, um, and everything like that is how I went about it. Tried to keep it as simple as possible, but still statistical um, to make it as objective as possible. Um 32nd ranked team, when you look at left wing, center, right wing um, numbers altogether, Montreal Canadiens, 31 Nashville Predators, 30 Philadelphia Flyers, 29 Anaheim Ducks. Um, I'm just going to run through this real quick, and then we'll close out. 28 Columbus Blue Jackets, 27 Washington Capitals, 26 Calgary Flames, then you get the San Jose Sharks at 25, the Boston Bruins. Now, number of people might go, oh my gosh, why are they 20, 24th? Did you see the year they had? Yes, I did. But you also have to look at how I did the statistics. The numbers have to do with players from last year. And that means you're taking the statistics of Kevin Shattenkirk, James Van Riemsdyk, no longer the statistics of Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno, right? These players added in, and so that pushes them down a bit. So 24 Boston Bruins. 23 St. Louis Blues, 22 Chicago, Pittsburgh at 21. Then you get your top 20. Ottawa, Minnesota, Arizona, New York Islanders, Vegas Golden Knights, Winnipeg Jets, Toronto Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay Lightning, Vancouver Canucks, and Seattle Kraken. 
your top 10 statistically. Detroit Red Wings, Edmonton Oilers, New Jersey Devils, Buffalo Sabres, Florida Panthers, your top 5, New York Rangers, Colorado Avalanche, LA Kings, Dallas Stars, and number 1, Carolina Hurricanes. Okay, Heading into the 23-24 season via point total and faceoff percentage, there's your rankings, 1-32 to 32, on forward group. I am currently working on the defensive group, so hopefully I'll have that up for everybody here soon. Um, anyway, Evan Rauer, Warm the Hockey Podcast. We appreciate everybody. Um, kind of a piece-together episode. A lot of monologue-style talking, so we appreciate you, and we appreciate your patience and sticking with us um, as we try and figure out the microphone and logistical issues and technical issues so that we can start to record in person in studio together and be a little more efficient with things so we appreciate you guys we love you guys um hockey season starting this coming week as of this recording this coming week and uh, a lot to look forward to ncaa hockey is underway uh, junior hockey has started a lot a lot to be excited about so we appreciate you um dad love you appreciate you for for um, navigating the technological side of things for yourself to get uh, some sound bites done and sent over to me. Um, I hope I pieced it together in a way that makes it sound as smooth as possible um, for everybody's ears. So appreciate you guys. Facebook, Instagram, Warm the Hockey Podcast, at Warm the Hockey Podcast. Follow us, like, um, subscribe, do all you need to do. Write to us, ask questions. We'd love to hear from you. And um, yeah. Enjoy the the upcoming season. We'll see you all hopefully as we figure out the the um, microphone issue. Hopefully this coming week for yet another episode of Warm the Hockey Podcast. Cheers, everybody! Enjoy it. Go hockey. Love you guys. Evan Rauer, Warm the Hockey Podcast. <laughs>